Welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. My name is Colleen Dietz. Join me and my guests each week for an entertaining recap of the hottest topics in Mormonism. We keep tabs on social media and headline news so you don't have to. Don't miss our live pro tips as you adjust to your new and exciting post-Mormon life. Mormon Happy Hour is here to bring you the irreverent side of Mormonism, wherever you may be. Happy holidays and welcome to episode 52. Since it's the holidays and shit is still crazy in my life, I thought I'd dig deep in my unused material archive and dig out some pretty presents to give you this winter solstice, festivus, whatever you're feeling holiday season. It turns out I just keep finding amazing stuff, so this is a long episode of shit I know you'll love. When you get in the spirit of giving, it just sucks you in and you just can't stop. Before I get into the agenda, a few things I want to remind you. Next month, I plan to host a book club style discussion of the Netflix special, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and have a joyous time comparing the Dark Lord's Church of Night with the good old Mormon church, which coincidentally enough, according to President Rusty Nelson, translates to Winds for Satan Church. Huh, kind of funny how that works. If you want in on the fun, please contact me and let me know. Best ways are voicemail 435-494-1427, mormonhappyhour at gmail.com, DM me on Instagram or Facebook, but I always fear that Facebook will get filtered into oblivion. I'm sure you can get a hold of me. Be sure and catch up on Sabrina while you recover from the holidays. Bonus, there's a holiday episode that was just released. Woohoo! Also, I have two birthdays to celebrate this week. Mormon Happy Hour is one year old, and it's also my birthday today, actually, as I record this. So if you're feeling generous in your birthday wishes, there's always Venmo.com forward slash Mormon Happy Hour for a one-time support pledge. Or if you want something back for your generous support, subscribe to Mormon Happy Hour on Patreon.com where you can earn swag, that's stickers and pins and buttons and fun things like that. And there is a plethora of video content that I am always uploading with every episode. To celebrate those birthdays, I'm inviting a few listeners to come on and share a few of their own personal experiences as a post-Mormon and revisit that damn it feels good to be an apostate post I made a while back. Do you want in on that too? You know how to get a hold of me. And now for what I'm bringing you for the holiday this week. First up, Marie Kent from My Book of Mormon podcast joins me for part three of John and Mary. I know it's been a while. I'll put the links to parts one and two in the show notes, but you don't need to listen to those first to enjoy some some more feminist Mormon reading roasts as we take a blowtorch to the 12th president of the church, Spencer W. Kimball's terrible book, Faith Precedes the Miracle. Oh, And on that note, if you are wanting to send an actual present for the birthdays this week, I mean, wine is always accepted, uh, I'm trying to find a copy of Wendy Watson Nelson's super fucking harmful book for children entitled The Not Even Ones Club. So if you happen to have access to one of those books, like those of you who live in Mordor, Utah, I have a wholesome and healing use for that book. I'd be forever grateful for a kind soul willing to rehome that piece of shit to my shelves. Thank you. Next, no holiday gift would be complete without the amazing Mithrin here to share with us the real history 
behind beard cards at BYU. If you don't know about the facial hair drama at BYU, buckle up. It's fun. I also dug into my Sunstone archives and pulled out an absolutely fascinating behind-the-scenes gem for you with my interview with Ryan McKnight, co-founder of Mormon Leaks, as he discusses a Q&A session that he and Ethan gave at Sunstone where they had the kind of an impromptu bomb that they got to drop kind of at the prompting of McKenna Denson herself. They got to share entirely new information regarding the leak of McKenna Denson's recording of her confronting Joseph Bishop regarding sexual assault while she was at the Missionary Training Center. And I also included the actual audio of the Q&A so you can hear it yourself. And the link to the entire hour and a half Q&A will be in the show notes. And to wrap up our holiday episode full of Mormon Happy Hour gifts to you, I have some Easter eggs at the end. I guess you'll just have to listen. Welcome back to Mormon Happy Hour, Marie Kent. Hello, everyone. It's Marie Kent of My Book of Mormon podcast again. I'm here for part three of John and Mary. From Faith Precedes the Miracle, written by the 12th president of the Mormon Church, a prophet of God, Spencer W. Kimball. Here's your book, folks. If you haven't picked it up by part three, what are you waiting for? (laughs) They're waiting for this book to be good. That's what they're waiting for. It's good to put underneath your couch if you have a shitty floor and your couch isn't level. That's what it's for. <laughs> I just, I'm shaking my head. Like We are, we continue <laughs> to dive through here. And so uh, you should definitely go back and listen to parts one and two, where we learned that happiness is being really poor and not having your basic needs met. Um, what else did we learn? Anything else of note? I uh, love everyone else around you and never think twice about yourself. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Or yeah. Want- um, definitely just go without as much as possible so that the man of the house doesn't have to go without. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that will, that will bring us happiness. And we, Oh, we did also just talk about the family and family size and hooray for having, let's just start popping out dumb babies, regardless of how biology works or infertility status or fertility status financial readiness. So just, just, just do it. It's fine. Just do it. No planning. Just do it. It'll all work out. <laughs> oh man. This Ooh. book is working out. Do you want to start or should I? Um, I, yeah, you can go ahead and start. So just to give everyone okay. a precursor, we just talked about, uh, postponing, uh, or you know, not postponing. You mentioned not postponing yeah. having a family. So we're going to continue on that thread. So go ahead. Okay, here we go, everybody. And John and Mary, do not limit your family as the world does. I think he's probably talking about birth control here Mm -hmm. because this was published in like 1978 and birth control was, I mean, it wasn't like just on the market, but it was a big enough deal that it was like, wow, should we even limit families? What what does that mean? How does that shape society? Can we, should we, blah, 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 blah. All of that is whirling around in societal discourse. I'm wondering now where I might have been had my parents decided arbitrarily that one or two children would be enough. 
<laughs> uh, you guys Colleen is just shaking her head. And, or that three or four would be all they could support. Or that even five would be the limit. For, <laughs> for I was the sixth of 11 children. Do you think that you will love the later ones less or have fewer material things for them? Well, yeah, you'll probably have fewer materials things for them because it's not like resources are endless. Uh, perhaps like Jacob, you might love the 11th one most. So we're referring to Joseph here. And you all know how well the story of Joseph turned out. You know, all of his other brothers tried to kill him, throw him down a well and sold him into slavery in Egypt. So that's an excellent thought to bring up. Good stories, Spencer W. Kibble. One more <laughs> sentence, then we'll talk about it. Young people, have your family, love them, sacrifice for them, teach them righteousness, and you will be blessed and happy all the days of your eternal lives. That's not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't end that, like, it ends okay, but that's the beginning part. So, my, my, I want to tell you a little secret. This is, this is terrible. Ooh. So, uh, the, the, the note I wrote in the margin of, about this section is, um, I only wish, dot, 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 because I only <laughs> wish that uh, his mother would have decided that, you know, five was the limit. <laughs> and that's my terrible thought for the day. <laughs> that's a horrible thought for the day. But can you imagine how much better the lives of Mormons would be? <laughs> oh, oh, man. Sexual shaming. Oh, my God. I can't even. Uh. God, the shaming on the number of children so last, last time, you and I mentioned briefly just the, the concept of infertility and that sometimes you really want to have a baby and you can't. Or there's also the, a, another way to look at it of you're someone who wanted to have kids very much, and that's me. And my second, my, my, my younger son, I have two kids, uh, he, he's, he's fine, everybody. He's fine. Uh, but it was a very difficult pregnancy and I almost died. And then when he was born... He spent some quality time in the NICU on a ventilator and he's fine now, but he was not fine when he was born. And I was also not fine <laughs> when he was born because all the reasons. And so like the obstetrician looked at me and he's like, I think that you, you maybe shouldn't have any more because if I were to get pregnant again, very high chance I would die. And to shame me for choosing to stay alive for my already living children by not having more children, which then I would like, maybe this, the next one would survive. That would be great. But then if I'm dead, who's watching my children? And is that the best choice to leave them without their biological mother who desperately loves them? What is wrong with you, Spencer W. Kimball? Think through the consequences of what you're saying. Like yeah. childbirth, and having kids isn't just some miraculous thing that just like, oh, yeah, I'm happy. Here we go. I have kids. Everything's fine. No actual consequences on my body as a mother. Oh, no, you just have a baby and everything's great. Are you kidding me? Shame on you, Spencer W. Kibble. Shame on you. It's like he's never actually spent a moment being in the home with his children. Like, I honestly yeah. I have a hard time thinking that he has any real understanding and experience with a woman's work and a mother's work. Yeah. Well, if he was raised in a house for all the sisters, all the sisters and his mom did all the work and he just got to play. Yeah. Being a kid is great. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yep. So I'm going to take the next paragraph because my only note in the column on this par paragraph is a big old what the fuck. 
So that's, that's what I'm going to read next. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> now, Mary and John, there is an indispensable element in this happiness you desire. There must be fidelity and confidence. Totally fine. That's cool. Okay. John, yeah, that's cool. I, I think that, I think that all relationships should be built on trust mm -hmm. and whoever you, however you define that trust between each other, as long as it's there, you're fine. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> John, you have had a legitimate and proper opportunity these past years to look the world over for a wife, to date numerous girls, and to compare and contrast them with one another, weighing their virtues oh. and attractions, and, and finally, of them all, you have selected Mary as the one with whom you wish to be associated forever. The one who reaches such heights of perfection in your eyes that she is worthy not only to be your helpmate, Marie's favorite word. <laughs> You're worthy to be my servant. Yeah, great. <laughs> but also the mother of your posterity. You have built for Mary a pedestal. <clears throat> what? Uh. And placing her on it will never permit any other ever to share that place with her. She is your queen, your counterpart, your love throughout the eternities. Oh my God, he actually used the word love finally. Oh my God. <laughs> Like, you guys, I'm laughing because love has had no part of this up until now. It's all just, if you do these things, you'll be happy. I mean, who cares if you're actually in love with this person that you're marrying? Am I right? Um, I, think, I think he was just picking the most healthy cow in the field. Like, he just, you know, yeah. made sure the cow was healthy, made sure the cow was fertile, <laughs> made sure the cow, you know, um, I don't know, had nice breasts to feed his children. <laughs> You're not buying a car. <laughs> you're you're deciding to have a life with another human. <laughs> like, also, spoiler alert, everybody. Looks change as you get older. Did you know this, Colleen? That as you get older, you start to look different? I, I know. I know. You're just as shocked as me. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> you mean you, I'm not going to look the same forever that I did when I was 20? <laughs> well... <laughs> I look exactly the same as when I was 20 with a little bit added weight and a couple C-section scars and oh yeah you know my hair is gray now but other than that my hair is fantastic it just happens to not be brown it's uh, beautiful okay well, thank you not as beautiful as yours Ugh. you know <laughs> yeah, I love your curls they're great I'm sure they've been exactly the same since you were 20 obviously <laughs> actually I can't argue with that <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. Well, this is going to be me talking about my hair for a moment. I had straight hair until my youngest, and now I have curly hair. That's crazy. I'm like, I don't, I don't even understand. Like, talk about childbirth changing you. Apparently, it was such an experience. And now I have curly hair. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. Well, once someday when I find a pedestal that I'm going to crawl on and have pe have some partner worship me for it. Um, I'll make that person really just compliment my curly hair. That's the moral <laughs> of the story. Am I right? Okay. <laughs> There's so, so much what the fuck with this. <laughs> so much. <sighs> I just, oh, God. Do you, want, do you want to move on or do you have more to say about that? Also? Oh, no. I mean, I could rant for hours about it, but I think we should move on. Because okay. there's just... Why, why stay stagnant when you can always move forward into more of this amazingness? <laughs> oh. All right. Oh, my turn. 
for those of you following along at home, we are on page 134 of Faith Precedes the Miracle by Spencer W. Kimball. Marie, would you like to take the paragraph beginning now, John? Yes, I would love nothing more. Now, John and Mary, being human, huh, I'm glad he's not talking to robots. Sorry, that's so lame. You may someday have differences of opinion, resulting even in little quarrels. Neither of you, <laughs> little quarrels. Goodness, no, you're never going to have big quarrels because you're having kids when you're way not able to handle it. And so you're not going to be worried about money and housing and food while there's a screaming newborn around. That never happens. That's a little quarrel, everybody. That's not a big deal. It's just a little quarrel. Lord. Neither of you will be so unfaithful to the other as to go back to your parents or friends and discuss with them your little differences. Oh my God. This would be gross disloyalty. Your intimate life is your own and must not be shared with or confided in others. You will not go back to your people for sympathy, but will thresh out your own difficulties. Oh my God. I don't even know where to start with that. Would you like to start? No, because I'm so angry, but <laughs> uh, hold on. <laughs> give, give me a moment, everybody. I just, let's define little quarrel because sometimes little quarrels are symptoms of things that are bigger um, because abusive relationships exist. We all know that. And I, I, in my opinion, if one partner is very adamant that everything is always about them and not only just that everything's about them, if it's not exactly agreeing to everything that they want, it must be bad. So therefore the other partner is always lesser, is always wrong, is clearly doing things bad because it's not always benefiting me, you know, that kind of thing. Like, I think that is abusive. Um, and yes, that is exactly what Spencer W. Kimball is telling us is the ideal relationship. That's a bunch of horse shit. So one way that abu uh, abusive couples are able to perpetuate is that the one who's being abused is being told, don't tell anyone. They won't believe you. No one will help you. They're going to think it's your fault because it is your fault because you are lesser than. And so this is telling anyone in a bad relationship that you should never seek help. And that is so destructive as I, I, I don't, I don't have a joke about it because it's so destructive. Um, it's wrong. If you are in an abusive relationship, it's hard to get out. You guys, I get it, but you need to get out for the health of you and your kids. If you, if you happen to have kids or anyone living with you, because what you're teaching your kids is it's okay to abuse people or to be abused. Mm -hmm. And that's not a life that any of us want to live, nor should we want other people to live that life. So to do, this would be a gross disloyalty. I think the gross disloyalty is perpetuating abusive households through misogynistic bullshit like this book. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about it? You went a billion times deeper and said exactly what, what I, I completely agree. The note that I wrote in the, in the margin is sometimes you need outside views therapy question mark. Like this is basically saying, yes. don't ever go to a therapist. Don't ever confide in your loved ones of how, <clears throat> wow. I just, I just got a flashback to my first marriage 
where I didn't mm. talk about it. And I, I was actually going to say at the beginning yeah. of this segment that I, I'm like, I'm, I'm not the type of woman that goes to Relief Society and sits there and talks shit about my husband. Like, I always kind of, like, thought that was inappropriate. Like, I didn't want to be yeah. that woman. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Well, guess what? I was in a terrible marriage. Terrible. Mm-hmm where my, my husband was a sexual predator and he was, you know, emotionally abusive and Mm -hmm. I didn't tell anyone. And it took me eight long years to get out because I wasn't talking to anyone who loved me and would have supported me and maybe said, Hey, this isn't healthy. I will help you and support you in putting yourself first and, and getting out. And so Exactly what you were saying, like this whole, like that only happened in, uh, 20, 2003 to 2012. Like that's the time frame. That wasn't that oh long ago. God. That wasn't back in the seventies. No. So these ideas are perpetuating. And, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I definitely wish that I would have had the, the, um, the, not, it's not even the confidence, the permission. I wish I had the permission. Mm-hmm to confide yeah. in people and to feel okay with ex- yeah. expressing things that were not going well and not feel like I, Oh, I don't want to be the, the woman who talks shit about her husband. Like I wish that I could have been like, Oh, I need help. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it with people that love me and care about me and who can help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes getting an outside perspective helps you break out of a rut because I'm not saying that every time that there, sometimes there are legitimate small squabbles you know, and sometimes you just need an outside perspective to come up with a third or fourth option of how to solve a problem that is totally fixable, mm-hmm. but you just don't know about it. You know, cause like, I think of things like mental illness because mental illness makes people do all sorts of weird things. And sometimes you don't even know that it's happening. Um, and so for a lot of mental illnesses, they can be treated through therapy or medication um, that makes you breaks you out of like being wrapped inside your mind. Um, like I, I, I've seen, I'm going to use total generic things here because privacy, but like, so I have some good friends that they were having some real issues in their marriage, but they loved each other and they couldn't figure out why everything was just like, how come we aren't, why is everything falling apart? And so they went to counseling because they're like, well, clearly we need some outside help. And they tried talking to friends and all of us are like, I don't know, but you love each other. So work on it. And then discovered, Oh, one of them had bipolar and the other one had a untreated ADHD and they went, Oh, okay. So now they're like working on these things separately and together. And their marriage is so strong right now. Like they have kids together, they have a house, they have a life and things were really bad, not because they were bad people, but because they needed outside help. Mm-hmm. And that outside help made their, their broken home a whole one. Like, don't tell me that finding outside help will always destroy or that that's a bad thing. It's not, you guys. (laughs) Problems are fixable. And if they're not fixable, get out. That should always be an option. It should be the last option, but it should always be an option. Mm -hmm. I hate that he's taken away this option here. That's awful. Just truly, truly awful. Well, this has been an uplifting episode. Yeah. Well, on that somber note, <laughs> this is, I think, the most bummer segment of the 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 John and Mary saga. <laughs> yeah, the trilogy. <laughs> the John and Mary trilogy. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I would like to come back later because there is more to this book and I need to read it and I need to read it with you, Colleen. Oh, will you read a book with me? Honey, I will hold your hand and cuddle up in a corner and read this with you while fire shoots out of my eyes and burns the book to the ground. <laughs> I will bring marshmallows for our bonfire. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, if you miss parts one and two of the John and Mary pre-wedding lecture by Spencer W. Kimball, be sure and check the show notes. I will put in links to parts one and two and you can catch up and stay tuned for the fourth installment. Now the next time Marie and I get together and roast yeah. faith precedes the miracle and Spencer <laughs> W. Kimball. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for coming along on the ride, everybody. This has been lovely. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Love you, Marie. Thanks for stopping by. Love you too, Colleen. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Welcome back to another segment of Six Minute Skinny Dip <laughs> into Mormon History with our expert, Mithrin. What have you got for us today? Thank you, ma'am. Today is one of those days that is just, it's glorious and wonderful. Uh, and a, a wonderful topic for us to touch on. I attended BYU from 1996 to 2002, and there was this rare and epic item that one could obtain there, much like a side quest in a in a JRPG video game called a beard card. <laughs> At BYU, you are not allowed to grow a beard unless you obtain one of these mythical uh, resources. And uh, it turns out that eczema was one of the reasons that one could obtain said beard card. It was a little card, it fit in your wallet, and it had your picture, and it said that you were authorized to wear a beard at BYU. I didn't know this existed when I went to BYU, and in fact, I had eczema, which is one of the reasons that one could obtain one of these mythical items. But when I, I was, uh, there was a late night conversation in a room two doors down uh, on V Hall third floor in which a Jewish Mormon appeared, and the Jewish Mormon had obtained a beard card because he was Jewish and therefore had to be able to grow out his beard but he was also Mormon. He had been baptized into the Mormon church. Whoa. Thus he was NYU. And so therefore, because of his heritage, the beard card was obtained. And I had my first glimpse of this mythical creation, the beard card. Uh, this of course led to some cognitive dissonance. Why in fact does Brigham Young University need a beard card? Because Brigham Young is known for his epicness of beard. And in fact, Many members that I have run into of uh, the various groups of Mormonism, but particularly the La Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the very long shall be named uh, <laughs> religion or the LDS church for short, uh, notice that around Heber J. Grant, suddenly no one has a beard anymore. But Joseph F. Smith, known for his epic beard, Lorenzo Snow, of course, giant beard, and it turns out that the reason that Mormons stopped wearing beards and that you have to get a beard card at BYU is Gillette. 
Yeah, the razor company, you know, Gillette. So we have to get to the Archduke de Ferdinand. Do you remember that guy that was shot to start all of World War I? And World War I happens, and the Germans are all like, we're going to control the world and move into France. And they dug a bunch of trenches, and they stayed in there. And Rowan Atkinson did an excellent job in Black Adder of portraying how miserable those trenches would be. That. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that you have to be able to put a gas mask on very quickly. And if you have a nice, scruffy beard like mine, you don't get a good seal. Mm-hmm. And so you would actually die from the mustard gas in World War I. Uh, cue everyone's English teachers forever uh, and, and all of those poems we had to read about people struggling and dying from mustard gas. But the point is that Gillette sent free razors to all the American troops. And, uh, and this was also a standard ration that was sent to the British troops, which is why all the British airmen ha- are portrayed with these giant mustaches. Is that They had these epic beards and they had to shave it off to be able to get those gas masks on. Wow. Well, he... Grant was the prophet during World War I, and he remains prophet through World War II, and is part of the fashion changing because all the men who came back in 1918, when World War I was wrapping up, uh, came back with shaved or clean shaved faces, Mormonism shifted with it, and he began to wear no beard but the mustache, and you'll see that on Heber J. Grant's photos. Mm-hmm. The very early ones when he's a fossil, he has a beard, after that, he has just the epic mustache. And he sets the tone for the next generation. Harold B. Lee, who became a very central figure of Mormonism, and if we get to there, I, and I hope we do, we will cover, uh, believe very much in the clean-cut look that came from World War I uh, and Gillette's razors. So the reason that one has to be a clean-cut Mormon and have that look is Gillette and World War I and trenches and mustard gas. <laughs> but... The reason that you get a beard card at BYU is that, in fact, people will, um, with eczema or with religious reasons, will be able to obtain a beard card. This, of course, leads us to September 11th, naturally, right? Wow. At September 11th, uh, Muslims supposedly flew airplanes into the World Trade Center, and, of course, Muslims wear beards. So do sheiks, as it turns out. But BYU was not very distinguishing. I was at BYU in 2001, and they revoked the beard card as a way to discriminate against Muslim students to protect us from the threat of terrorism at BYU. Because you know that as soon as Osama bin Laden takes down the World Trade Center, BYU is the next target. And in fact, I was a member of a club. Uh, it was a medieval reenactment club, which tells you how nerdy I was even back then with history. Um, and we had a meeting in which one person dressed up as a 1300s uh, Arab from the, uh, I forget which crusade it was, but one of the crusades. And several BYU students, now this this guy was from Scandinavia, blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, called in to the police to report a terrorist on campus and we had the police show up at a meeting uh, and they did demand whether or not we were a registered club and had all of our our documents in file because we had a Muslim terrorist on (laughs) campus from the 1300s, time traveling Muslim terrorist, but uh, all the way to uh, discrimination and removing people by their beards in order to keep us safe from them terrorists. Wow. Uh, 
there is your six minute skinny dip into Mormon history. Any questions about beards and Mormonism? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. No, when you're saying like a 1300s Arab, like I keep thinking like Indiana Jones, like the, the turban. That's exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's, he was wearing basically the outfit from Indiana Jones with the okay. guy with the big sword. He's uh-huh. black, the little eye slit, the whole nine yards. Okay. Um, that's perfect. One that's- of the fun activities at BYU that students will do from time to time is to go and put shaving cream on the statue of Brigham Young to give him his beard because they have a shaved Brigham Young at, uh, that's a pretty good term. If anyone wants to get shavedbrighamyoung.com, there's something there. Anyway, they'll put uh, shaving cream on him as an activity for family home evening groups. (laughs) That's disgusting. And also epic. There is a camera, by the way, all students at BYU who may watch this, uh, there is a camera that watches it 24-7, and you will get busted if you try to shaving cream him anymore. <laughs> Just be warned. In my day, there was no such thing as Wi-Fi. You couldn't put a camera out there for anything. Uh, because that is such a crime. Oh, my gosh. To put shaving cream on a statue. They give the beard to Brigham Young, yes. They used the, the 18, um, before he joined the church, the photo of Brigham Young, 1831 photo of Brigham Young for the statue so that he was beardless. <laughs> now, is the, is the beard card still currently a thing? Like, I've heard they're kind of, like, softening possibly, or they're thinking about softening up on the whole beard issue. So they've softened from the 2001 where they were removing sheiks, uh, which is a different religion from Muslim, by the way, and, and uh, people from India, people from uh, any of the Arab countries. Um, like I was in the computer science department, so a good portion of my class had beard cards. Uh, and all of them went away in 2001, 2002. Um, Wow. So yes, they've they've softened, but they're back to pre two thousand one levels. That's that's the way to consider it. Wow, interesting. Wow. So you still can't have a beard. You still can't have a beard. Still have to have a beard card. In fact, in our previous one where we talked about Bigfoot, uh-huh. the person who submitted the video about Bigfoot in two thousand twelve, his name was Beard Card because he attended BYU. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, no, I've definitely learned something new today. I went to BYU. Same time you went to BYU. I didn't know all this. So there we go. I learned <laughs> something new today. <laughs> there you go. Keep enjoying history. Thank you, kind sir. You have a wonderful day. The same. <laughs> We'll do beautiful. The rum. You say you have quality rum, right? I or do. something like that. So I have quality rum and vodka. You want to do rum? Yeah, we'll do the rum. It's a Oak Heart cool. Bacardi. Cool. It's good stuff. And we're doing it on the extra special sacrament shot trade that you This brought. is my legacy with your yes. podcast. And now everybody gets to partake in the Ryan McKnight legacy. So what are we shooting to? Truth and transparency? Uh, absolutely. Always. <laughs> Sunlight is the best disinfectant. Cheers. Ooh. 
Nice. Uh, that was good, actually. So we're rolling, right? Yes. Okay. So Ryan, what brings you to Sunstone? Is this your first time? No, this is my second time. time. Last year was my first time That's attending right. and presenting. That's right. And uh, yeah, I'm present. we presented already twice on Mormon Leaks, and then I have two presentations tomorrow that are on subjects other than Mormon Leaks. And you got a bomb yesterday dropped in your presentation. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know when this will get published or not, but it, it, we are going to publish the audio of that entire presentation. So either it, it will have just been released or look for it shortly. What we're kind of shooting for next week, the week after Sunstone, we'll probably release it. Um, Great. But, yeah, we ended up talking about something that we had no plans of talking about. And so I hope it came out good, but, you know, people will get to hear. Um, You're going to spoiler alert us? Well, I mean, I don't want to <laughs> retell the story because it took me like 30 minutes in there. But, I mean, I basically <laughs> told uh, some aspects of some of the behind-the-scenes that happened um with the McKenna Denson tape that we've never told before, so at who's prompting? <laughs> well, that's an interesting thing because you know when Ethan and I were prepping, we expected somebody to ask us, you know, either that question or a similar question. Of course. And um, so we had already kind of planned that we weren't going to answer the question mm-hmm. just out of respect for McKenna because right. you know one of the reasons why we haven't gone into detail about all of our behind the scenes dealings is because. Um, you know, we want to respect McKenna in the process, and, and, and some of the things I think, you know, could be seen as critical of her, some of the... Yeah. And, and so we didn't want to criticize her because, you know, it wasn't, it's not really our intention to criticize her, so mm-hmm. even though some of the parts of the story could be seen as that, and so when she asked the question, um, I don't know if the people in the audience saw how uncomfortable we were, but we were, like, seriously thrown off guard, and... Actually, I leaned over to Ethan as she was finishing her question. I leaned over and I covered the mic and I was like, what do we want to do here? And actually, I was I was listening to a little bit of the audio last night. I didn't listen to the whole thing, but I heard that part. And you can hear it. It got picked up on our audio. And we might actually leave that in. We kind of had a little thing back and forth. But, <laughs> like, we were just totally blindsided by this. And, like... So everything I said last night or yesterday that people will hear on the audio, um, I've actually already had those conversations with McKenna. Right, of course. So she already, you know, I've been 100% open and honest with her about everything we did and our thought process. And so that wasn't the problem, right? We just really sort of, we all, we, we've always felt like we would tell the whole story like 10 years from now or something like right. that. Right. So um, we were just kind of like, well, I guess... She's kind of giving us permission because she knows the story, right? Obviously. And so, and then at some point, um, after she had finished her question and we were kind of hemming and hawing, she kind of gave me like a wink. She kind of winked and nod, kind of like, go ahead, you can do it. And so I was like, okay. (laughs) I mean, and the only thing, I mean, I don't want to say I was disappointed by this because I am, I mean, I'm glad she didn't, like, I'm really glad that she didn't tell us she was going to ask us that question because I probably would have asked her not to. Yeah. Um, But um, I, I mean, part of me wishes, like, the one downside of, of it is that I didn't have a, a chance to sort of men- Prep. yeah mentally prepare and and like okay what happened what was the timeline and how, how do I want to say this and make sure I use precise language because I'm really big about that and yeah. and so you know I and I'm sure it comes off like I haven't heard the whole recording but I'm sure it does sound like I'm kind of off the cuff and I was you were yeah and I hope that I didn't like say something in a way that I regret like hopefully I said everything in the way I wanted to say it. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, we kind of bore our souls a little bit, and I, I know a lot of the criticism that we got around the the surrounding, uh, release surrounding the release. I mean, I don't necessarily think that 
our what I shared will make all that go away. I think yeah. there's still gonna be people that criticize us, yeah. but hopefully, like, if I were to want one thing, it would just be like for people to just maybe, even if they still think we did the wrong thing, maybe just to gain some additional understanding on like what our thought process was behind the scenes. And I think that's really valuable. Yeah. So. Yeah, and Ethan even got a little emotional, which. I don't know. Well, he's, he's really he's really emotionally yeah, invested in yeah he's yeah and 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 we both are and yeah. you know he he you know he definitely tends to start crying before I do but yeah <laughs> I mean I, if I were to want to convey something to people is I don't think people understand how emotional that whole episode was for us yeah and I don't mean emotional in like we were getting criticized I don't even mean that just stressful I mean stressful in in making oh. this difficult decision and and wanting to do the right thing right and so and I just it's impossible for us to articulate it especially to articulate it without trying to sound like you know hey everybody come up and give us a pat on the back which we don't want yeah and so I just yeah I, I, it's one of those experiences everybody has experiences in their life that nobody can ever understand and I think what we went through behind the scenes before releasing the McKenna Denson tape is one of those things that I don't think anybody's going to fully understand what Ethan and I went through. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, that's not to minimize in any way, shape or form what McKenna went through. Right. I mean, she's the real victim in the whole thing right. uh, you know, with Joseph Bishop. But I, I do think, you know, if we want to sort of be positive and glass half full, I, I do think that, you know, she's come out a stronger woman for it. And she, and I think she would say that as well. And I think that, um, she has given a voice to women, that previously didn't have a voice. And we've been contacted by multiple people who said that McKenna Denson gave them the courage to sh tell their story to somebody to in their life that they hadn't told the story to, you know, Absolutely. for the first time. So, well, And even the Camille that, that yeah. I just talked to. Yeah, she got up and people will, who listen to the tape will hear her on there. She said that the day after the McKenna Denson tape came out was the first time she told her husband that was it that she was that she abused as a assault, child? I can't remember what assaulted, it was. Yeah. That she had been assaulted or something as yeah. a child or something like I don't that. Know the time or before phrase. she got married. Like yeah. and her husband didn't know about it. Right. And so it was the first time she told her husband about it was the day after Yeah. Uh, I apologize for not getting the details on that, but <laughs> I haven't gone back to re listen to the to the to the tape. But But that just goes back to how powerful this whole experience is and how amazing what McKenna has done yeah. to so many other people. Yeah. So. Yeah, and she, you know, she deserves all the credit as far as like, I mean, she's the one that lured him into that room, mm -hmm. and I don't think she should have any shame in that. No, you know, because when, you know, yes, she brought him into that room under false pretenses, but when it came time to confront him, she was open and honest about who she was and why she was there. Yeah, there was no guile at that point. Well, and he lured her into a room under false pretenses. Well, sure, sure. So, but yeah, you know, I have, and I haven't seen a lot of people criticize her for that, but some people have, and. I, I find it to be ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. It's shocking. And I mean, he knew full well who she was and what she was doing, and he opened up like a book for like an hour and a half. Well, that's an interesting point because, you know, when we were first hearing the tape and we had never interacted with McKenna at all, and, you know, we, we really didn't know if she was telling the truth or not, right? And mm -hmm. so one of the things that we really scrutinized the tape for was, and we I talked about this yesterday, but one of the things we really scrutinized the tape for was, like, did she bait him into saying any of that stuff? Yeah. Like, did she, like, set him up at all? And, like, we went over it over and over and over. And we even pointed out, like, instances where maybe it could be seen as baiting. Right. And, like, debated whether or not was this actually baiting. And I think in the end we kept coming to the conclusion that no, it wasn't. But it wasn't, like, an automatic. Like, we really tried to challenge ourselves. Yeah. Because we didn't want to, like... 
you know, we're Mormon leaks and we get this explosive tape. And of course we want to rush it into publication. Like we wanted to make sure like we were playing devil's advocate at every corner. And so we overanalyzed every little statement that she made looking for her baiting him or tricking him into say something. And not only did we kind of in the end come to the conclusion that she hadn't, but we actually played the tape for a therapist who said that while she can't say whether or not McKenna was telling the truth or not, she could say that McKenna's language and the way she was speaking was consistent with a victim and Joseph Bishop's way of speaking was consistent with a predator. Wow. And she also specifically said that she didn't hear any baiting going on and so that was a big thing for us because for us like and the, one of the reasons we hit her voice is we didn't care whether or not we, we got to the point that we didn't care whether or not she was lying because we thought even if it turns out that she is lying Joseph Bishop still said what he said about all those other women right and that for us was the story when we released it now obviously and that was your headline yeah and we found out things later on that it seemed to indicate and support that McKenna Denson wasn't lying, and so that's great. But even if, like, even if it had come out that somehow she had fabricated this whole thing, mm -hmm. we still would have stood by that leak because he admitted to what he admitted about the other women. Mm -hmm. So, well, what has been your favorite part of Sunstone outside of um, I don't know your well, direct interactions with panels and stuff? Yeah, I mean, look. As overwhelming as it can be at times, it is great to meet people, mm -hmm. you know, and so, I mean, it is fun for people to come up and say, oh, hey, I, you know, I read all your stuff, or I listen to all your interviews, and I mean, I, I guess it shouldn't be shocking, but it still is shocking, like, to find out somebody that says that they've listened to every interview I've ever done, like, that to me is, like, <laughs> hard to believe, you know what I mean, but, and it's appreciated, so it is fun to, like, meet people that, um, that are... I mean, those are the people that we're publishing for, the people that are interested in the things that we publish for. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that's the best part, I suppose. Just And then on the flip side, you know, I get to play fanboy too, you know. So, I mean, <laughs> I got to meet uh, Paul Toscano today. I got to meet a member of the 12 Apostles from the Church of Christ. Um, who else? There was somebody else that I met today that I was really cool. I can't remember who it was, but um, <laughs> yes, there you go. But, but it's cool to, like, be able to, see, even if you don't get to meet them. Uh-huh. You get to at least see from afar um, people that you've maybe read about or heard on interviews. And actually, one of the coolest things, Sandra Tanner, uh -huh. who is, you know, amazing uh -huh. and really paved the way for people like us. Sandra Tanner came to both of our presentations. Nice. That was awesome. <laughs> you know, so to have her in there, that was like more of an honor than anybody being honored to listen to me. Yeah. The fact that she was interested enough to come to both of our presentations. That is pretty special. Yeah. So... That's the fun stuff. This is Mormon Comic Con, right? Yes, it That's is. That's essentially what it is. That's what I tell people. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're all a bunch of. Nerdy, and I hope it gets expos. even better. Like, as as good as Lindsay has done of building this up, from you know three or four hundred attendees to over two thousand. Yeah. I hope it grows from there, and I really hope it does take that form where, like, this is the place to be in July. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. So I wanted to pitch to Mormon Lake sometime. I know I may have mentioned it, but I, I really want you guys to do like a podcast or a YouTube, something like media, like somehow make your leaks media friendly and media digestible. Yeah. In like an, like an entertaining and, and quick little soundbite way. I'm well, dying for that. I, I do think that there is... Um... And monetize it. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't know about the monetization, but, I mean, that's possible. I, I do think that there is a podcast out there that we could do, you know, whether it be a weekly or a semi-weekly, and that could incorporate 
you know our leaks into it and also mm-hmm. talk just about what it because we we actually do do stuff and want to do things that are beyond Mormon leaks yeah you know and just talking about transparency and religion in general mm-hmm. and 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 trying to bring in guests that you know are more experts in that area maybe than we are and whatnot um, I, I do think there is a format there and we have talked about it before so I mean the only thing really holding us back right now would be just time and money so yeah. that that equation could change at some point and, and you may see um, us do a podcast at some point I, I would not be surprised if that's in our future yeah and I mean I would like to see you monetize it because I know that Mormon Leaks doesn't yeah. make any money and the funding is something that I feel like holds you know holds you back from the potential that you could be and so it's tricky with what we do I mean believe me if we could figure out a way to to make money and and, and still sort of you know be able to comfortably answer the the questions that would co- arise from the ethics of that yeah. with the specific nature of what we're doing. I mean, we'd love to do it. And I do think there is a way to do it, but I just don't think that we're, we're as close to that as yeah. maybe we, a lot of people assume we are. And I don't know. There's a lot of, it's not just a matter of like somebody giving us a big lump sum and then all of a sudden, you know, we got a bunch of money in the bank and we can now yeah. pay ourselves. It's just, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, I, I wouldn't say it would never happen, but I would say that right now we're probably, you know, I, there's no light at the end of that tunnel yet. Yeah. So, but maybe, you know, the, who knows what the future holds. Well, I mean, I just like to see Mormon if, if, you know, support itself. If there's anybody listening to this that's worth a couple hundred million dollars and wants to throw <laughs> some money our way, you know, I'm you not going to, you down. know, you know, our website is mormonleaks.io. My email address is there. <laughs> but I mean, on a serious note, I suppose I will just throw a plug that, you know, we, we do appreciate the small donations that we get. Every single one of them, even the $5 ones are important. Yeah. And so if people, you know, if they can go and afford a dollar, $5 or whatever, uh, whether it be recurring or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, if they go to our website, all of the donations are tax deductible. We are a 501 C3. So, um, and, and right now all the money that we get and we do publish our financials, but all the money we get goes into running the website, which depending on the traffic in a given month can be expensive. And then, you know, when we come and speak at conferences like this, obviously that, you know, Mormon leagues picks up the travel expenses. Right. We're not flush with money. No, we have enough money maybe (laughs) like for the next year or two, but that's about it. Yeah. So, well, I support you. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks so much for stopping by again. No, no problem. That was fun. Couple things. One, just so you know, in our case with, against the church, one of the things we're asking for is their financial records. So we, we will demand those. And part of the reason is we want to know how many other victims and survivors have been paid off and been given a non disclosure agreement. So we'll get as much information as we possibly can. But the question that I have for you two is, um, you got a lot of blowback when you released my tape. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to us how you came to release that tape and, is that funny? No, no, go ahead. We were expecting this question. But not from you. Mormon leaks for leaking my my audio tape, what, what even without 
it, and I have to say this. Oh, no, it, it, it's not that it was without my consent. Should I tell it? It was story? prior to my consent. Because what Mormon leaders were aware story. of at the time was that we were trying to get the non-disclosure agreement from the church that they wanted me to sign. We wanted to get the amount of money they were offering in a document so that we could leak it to Mormon leaks. So I had already prepared for Mormon leaks to leak my audio. They just did it a little bit ahead of time, but they did the world a favor, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Wouldn't you say? <laughs> Um, I, uh, so, I mean, like he said, we were expecting this question, but not necessarily from McKenna, which we were actually planning on not answering this question. <laughs> um, but it sounds like maybe we have permission to, I don't know. Yeah. So I, look, it's, we, we have been, we took this a lot the, of heat. Sorry, but just, this is the first time we probably told this. Yeah. So this is, uh, yeah, I'll reveal a few things here that we've never <laughs> said before, but we, 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 we took a lot of heat, and I think we, I don't know if we could have backed that heat down or not, but we probably could have said some things in our defense at the time that we chose not to, um, just out of respect for McKenna and the process, because, well, first of all, I, I didn't even know McKenna at the time, and so, you know, we, we were just like, you know, if the price of getting this out there is us being criticized, then, then so be it. So, but I'll, I'll, all right. I hadn't even thought about what I'm gonna say here, but okay, so we, our source of that tape, a lot of people think that McKenna Denson sent us that tape and she didn't, okay? Although we were told by our source that it was given to us with her permission to release it. And we began to listen, and, and we were told at the time, this is what we were told, again, not by McKenna, but we were told that the reason why it was being given to us and with permission to release it was because that the legal options appeared to have been at the time exhausted. And so we listened to the tape, and obviously, you know, we were like, okay. We, again, remember, we didn't know anything about McKenna Denson. Other than what was on the tape, and we're listening to this, and you know, it sounds very compelling. And you know, at first, you know, we debated. We listened to this tape. I, I don't know how many times Ethan listened to it, but I listened to it probably five or six times before we released it in its entirety. And you know, we went back and forth, and we're like, okay, did she, is she baiting him? You know, did she force him to say some of these things? We're like going through all these scenarios. We sent it to a therapist who you know deals with some of these kinds of things, and. They that you know had no connection to McKenna or anything like that, and she felt her her assessment was that while she couldn't say whether or not you know McKenna was telling the truth, she said McKenna is speaking in the way I would expect a victim to speak, and Joseph Bishop is speaking in the way I would expect a predator to speak. So that was somewhat comforting to us. And um, just just to clarify, it's not that we didn't believe McKenna's story that why we went through this. It's because we are a media organization with a certain reputation that we can't just throw something yeah. like this out there without going down all avenues to right. to to make sure it stands on its own. And while all of this is going on, because I was I already talked to a couple of media outlets and I knew this was going to be a big story if we released it. And you know, unbeknownst to McKenna and our source. You know, we were talking to some other people with some knowledge of the situation. And it came to our attention 
that maybe there was a reason to not believe McKenna. But we didn't know what that reason was. We literally didn't know what it was. We just were, we, we were told that was something about her that maybe she's not a credible person. And so we were really worried about that. We were like, what could this be? So I remember I sat there and I said, and I told Ethan this, I said, okay, what's the worst case scenario here? The worst case scenario is that somehow this woman heard that this guy did something to some other girls, somehow adopted their story and weaved this narrative and was able to get him on tape saying these things, right? And that you know, she was completely making it up. Like that was in my mind the worst case scenario. And we said, even if that is true, even if that turns out to be true, he still said what he said about other people. So this was, so this was one of the reasons why we wanted to, and I don't even really know what McKenna's desire was at the time as far as uh, redacting her name, but we wanted to redact her name at the time just in case it turned out that she wasn't telling the truth we were not releasing it at the time necessarily because of, of her specifically, but more about because here is a former mission president admitting in his own words that he had been inappropriate with a number of women over the years. Which, which is exactly what our headline was, was. Which is, yes, if you go back and look at it, it wasn't about this man who raped McKenna Denson. That's not what our headline was. Now, we're preparing this. This is kind of the, I've said parts of that story before, but this is kind of the part that I've really never gotten into. But, you know, there, there's this whole idea out there, and I think the, the origin of it was because in the Salt Lake Tribune article, I think McKenna was quoted in saying that, that we had released the tape without her permission, or something along those lines. Pro, she said prior to her Or prior to her consent, or something like that. And, and we, we had released it. We had received it, you know, with her permission. I don't know if our source, you know, misunderstood or not. But as we're preparing this leak, and we're redacting things and we're coordinating with the media and we're, okay, you know, we're all set for Monday or Tuesday or whatever it was that we released it. I think it was like, I want to say it was like Saturday, the Saturday before, um, the, our source reached out to us and said, McKenna would like you to wait to release the tape. And we were like, why? And we couldn't really get a straight answer, but it was something about how um, she, she, and again, you know, and I, I don't even know, if I, I think I've told McKenna this, but, so I just, this is like, you know, open and honest moment here. Remember, I don't know her at all, but it was something along the lines of, um, the way it was told to us was that she wanted to do one last ditch effort to see if she could use this tape to garner a settlement from the church. Now, if that was misconstrued to us, I don't know. And we just, just didn't sit well with us that this woman was going to try to use this tape. And again, I'm, maybe she wasn't, and this was misconstrued to us, I don't know. But this idea that she was gonna use this tape to get a settlement, and then all of a sudden there was gonna be a non-disclosure, and yes, she's already given it to us and we could release it, but in our minds, you know, that's gonna put the, her non-disclosure in jeopardy, even though she gave it to us before, you know, she would be required in the, con you know, in the contract to disclose who she had given it to and all that kind of stuff, and, 
you know, we just felt like if she were to reach a settlement with the church at this point, that this tape is buried forever. And it was a really tough decision for us. By far the toughest decision. The hardest decision we've ever made. And so, but here is how we, one of the ways that we justified it at the time was that, um, because one of the criticisms along with this is that, you know, we're, we're, you know, this permission to release was, I suppose, some revoked in a way. And so people says, oh, well, you, you know, you told, you know, you exposed a victim without their permission, right? Well, in our minds, we didn't think that, we didn't think that was going to happen because we had redacted everything about her. And um, we didn't know that Greg Bishop, Joseph Bishop's son, was going to then dox her to the media. Which is exactly which what is what happened. Yeah, and so, and actually a lot of people don't know this, but the LDS church actually doxed her first. Uh, so I got a call the morning after we, so let me take a step back. We released the tape, obviously it went viral, and I was talking to a couple of media outlets, but they couldn't write the story because I refused to tell them her name. And they didn't want her, they, weren't, they didn't want to publish her name. They didn't even want her to go on record if she didn't want to. They, as sort of in their standards, they had to make contact with her and verify that that was her voice on the tape. That's all they wanted to do. And I said, I don't, and again, I had never had any direct contact with her. I said, I can't do it. Can't do it. I, I don't have permission to share her name. So uh, the next morning, I got a call from a reporter that was ready to publish a story. And up to that point, we thought there wasn't gonna be a story because they were never gonna know her name. And I got a call from a reporter, they're ready to publish a story, and they want my on-the-record reaction to the church's statement to them. The church hadn't made the statement publicly. This is the statement they sent reporters who were inquiring. This is before the great Bishop dossier. And the statement said, not only that is McKenna Denson, a woman of uh, ill repute, and they said that in their ways, but they said her name to the reporters. So now the reporters knew who she was. Later that afternoon, now it's my understanding, now if we want to give the church the benefit of the doubt, that's all your guys' choice, but my understanding is about an hour or so, or an hour and a half after they issued that statement to all these reporters, they retracted the statement and removed her name and claimed that they accidentally put her name in there because they thought that her name was already in the public sphere. That's what the church claimed. That's all behind the scenes stuff that was never disclosed to the public. Um, to add insult to injury, the, that, I believe it was that afternoon, reporters started receiving a letter, uh, email I guess, maybe some attachments from this guy, Greg Bishop, who's Joseph Bishop's son, with this dossier that had been put together by a church attorney, or an attorney hired by the church that supposedly had you know, all of these reasons not to believe McKenna. We had no idea. Now, so these reporters are receiving this, and I had several reporters say to me privately, I think she might be lying. And I hadn't seen this dossier, so I really couldn't tell you at the time. Like, and they, but these reporters were very worried. This information, without knowing everything that was going on, 
apparently for them was compelling enough to say, we need to be cautious here. And what happened, so he basically, the great bishop opens this can of worms. And then I start to hear some of the things that McKenna Denson supposedly did that's in this dossier. And again, keep in mind, I still have never interacted with Ken McKenna Denson at this point, but I was freaking out because I'm like, wow, did we, you know, what did we do here? Not only are we being accused of outing this person when we didn't, but we, uh, you know, is she lying? You know, what is, you know, these accusations of what she supposedly did, this is craziness. And it was so stressful that I was in bed on that Wednesday. I could not get out of bed for like 10 hours. And I got home from work at like two o'clock and I didn't get out of bed till the next morning, basically. I was just, the stress was eating me alive. And <clears throat> the big break came late Wednesday or Thursday when KUTV discovered the um, uh, BYU police report I think the first thing they discovered was the BYU police report that said where Bishop admitted to having asked her to show him her breast to the police. And so, you know, well, that's a far cry from admitting to rape. That was, uh, you know, for him to admit that. Sorry, just to represent McKenna just uh, justly here, McKenna says that that was not her. Yeah, she says that, that wasn't that her. Woman in, right? That Joseph right. Bishop was talking but about. But he says it was her. Report. But either way, he admits to saying that to somebody, and he thinks it's her. So that provided us some stress relief there. Like, okay, so maybe she is telling the truth. And then the information about the room came out. And I don't know if you guys know about that, but that person actually contacted me and said, you know, hey, I, I worked at the MTC a long time ago, and I remember that room. So, um, and we just some context for those that might not know Joseph Bishop took McKenna down to a, a room and that's where he raped her and it was in the basement of the yeah. MTC and that, that room was confirmed to have existed by a former employee, a former employee. and I don't think he had ever seen the room set up the way Bishop had it set up because he wasn't there when Bishop was there I believe if I remember correctly he was there in the 90s if I remember correctly but he definitely remembered that room and he remembered that it was a weird room and it was a room that was sort of not known to anybody. It was kind of hidden or whatever. And we sent him over to KDTV because he, he didn't really have any documentation but to give us, so we couldn't really publish anything. But KDTV actually um, confirmed that he was an employee and they went through all this stuff to make sure he was an employee actually. And they, had, they got some blueprints of the MTC and he was able to point out exactly where the room was. He also confirmed the bed the Did he confirm the bed? The okay, so I, my memory failed me on that one. So, you know, that's some of the context that sometimes the public doesn't realize, like some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And, um, you know, I've actually since read the dossier, and I mean, I don't know if that's ever going to come to light. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. It's probably not a good time right now. But, you know, the reality is, whether right or wrong, we're all human, right? If you don't, if you've never, if, if you don't have the police report where Joseph Bishop says what he said, if you don't have an employee saying, yeah, I've seen that room, and you don't know McKenna at all, and all you have is these things that, you know, mistakes that she's made in her life, I don't think it was, it would be completely unreasonable, especially for a 
news outlet to want to go ahead and pass on this story. And so it presented, and, and again, that's like he said, it's not to say that you don't believe her, but it's like, it's one thing to have a victim come to you and tell you their story and for you to believe them. And it's another thing for you to publish it on the internet. Right? Those are two different things. And so it was, you know, it was um, really difficult. But I was talking to a former prosecutor about this at the time. And um, he said something really that, I, that really changed my, the way I kind of look at these things. And he said to me, and he, somebody who deals a lot with sexual abuse uh, as a prosecutor. And he said, you know, it, when you're dealing with victims and you're trying to ascertain whether or not they're telling the truth, he said, it does not matter any crimes they've committed in their past and it does not matter any lies they've told in their past. The only thing that would matter as far as a victim's credibility, not the only thing, but the big thing that, that he looks for as a prosecutor is for lies to be told in relation to the actual abuse. And he said, because what happens is, is that people who've been abused, and I think, and I don't want to tell the kind of story here, I'm sure she's gonna talk about it on Saturday, but, but I think she's prob she probably had a, a rough life for reasons other than Joseph Bishop. So there's a lot of reasons for her to have maybe acted out in certain ways when she was younger. But you know, he said to me that it is extremely common, so common to the point that it's expected that victims of abuse do act out in very antisocial ways. And I don't think a lot of just regular Joe people, probably including myself, necessarily have that outlook in these situations. You automatically say, well, you know, this person did this, and this person did that, and so, you know, why should I believe them over here? Right, that's the normal human reaction. And, um, you know, that was something that we, we grappled with, and, and, and again, but for us, you know, before, before knowing about the, the police report, and before knowing about the room, before meeting McKenna and talking to her on the phone and meeting her in person, you know, we just kind of thought, okay, if we can hide her identity from the public, it, that it doesn't matter, it didn't matter to us whether or not she was telling the truth or not. We only cared about the fact that here was a former mission president who was admitted to X, Y, and Z. And we wanted to demonstrate that yes, top leaders are capable of these things. Everything else that came out afterwards, we had no idea it was gonna come out. We had no idea. Well, we had no idea about the police report and you know, the fact that, you know, that McKenna Denson would eventually get a, a court case in front of a federal judge. We didn't know any of that was gonna happen. That's all good stuff. But that's not why we released the tape. We didn't release the tape necessarily to tell McKenna Denson's story. It was to tell the story at the time of Joseph Bishop, who was a man who was admitting to inappropriate actions with multiple women. So, I don't know if I've rambled too much. I don't know if I've said too much. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even want to go to Reddit after this gets heard <laughs> and find out about how the new reason why I'm a horrible person. But um, it is what it is. That's the story. It is what it is. And we were making decisions in the moment and we were trying to make the best decisions possible. Uh, I think somebody, part of the question was, would we do it again? And as maybe to some people's surprise, if everything being equal, we would do it again. I don't know, Ethan, do you want to add to that or? Um, 
Did I say the wrong thing? No. <laughs> you need to clarify my misstatement. I don't know. I thought I thought you did really well. Um, yeah, I don't know that I fully agree on you with you that we do it again. I think um, I would. Yeah, I think I, I would. I don't know. It's super tricky. Super super tricky when you're dealing with yeah. this kind of situation. But uh, I regret. Personally, not talking to McKenna be beforehand. Yeah, maybe we, if there is one thing, maybe we could have made it more of an effort to reach out to her. And I will say, you know, I, I don't want to completely change the subject, but I, I hope everybody just noticed that he disagreed with me here. And I think one of the things that's important <laughs> is that, you know, we don't always agree on everything. And we sometimes have fierce debates about I mean, we, I think we had fierce debates about the McKenna Denson tape, aspects yep. of it, mm -hmm. and other leaks. I mean, we've had fierce debates where we didn't necessarily start out seeing eye to eye, and I don't know that and there's probably some instances where we ended not seeing eye to eye, um, but I, I do think that it does tend to keep us honest. You know, we can put each other in check because um, everybody needs that, but, um, but yeah, so um, it, yeah, it, it is a tough question to answer, but... I guess that's it. So here is your holiday Easter egg treat. Many of you will remember Chloe from the Warless podcast. She was on just the last episode with me. She came to town and we had a wonderful chat. I mentioned on that episode, I reminded, I should say, that we have a voicemail here at Mormon Happy Hour. The number is 435-494-1427. Was that too fast? 435-494-1427. So here is some special treats from the Mormon Happy Hour voicemail. By the way, Chloe totally beat you to Pop the Mormon Happy Hour Cherry. Eh, sorry. But you know, you can always call and leave a message yourself. Hi, it's Chloe. I'm just leaving you a voicemail because I said I would, although I did say I would leave it on my way home, <clears throat> which I didn't do. It's now the next day. Thanks for posting the podcast so quickly. And it was so lovely to meet you in person. And we definitely need to get together again before I head back to Seattle. That's it. I hope you have a great day. Hi, Colleen. This is Mason Proxy. And I'm calling in to air my grievances uh, for and in behalf of Kendall, who is a big fan of your podcast. Um, my first grievance is that you used guilt to make me call in, but being a graduate of Mormonism, it's a language that I speak fluently and it fluently speaks to my heart. So I can't blame you for using that effective method uh, to, uh, to get me to call. However, my real grievance today is the air quality in Utah, uh, which in a word, is shitty. It's horrible, just shitty, nasty air. And even on the, quote, good air days, it's nasty, horrible air. Um, not sure what you can do to help us with that, but 
just wanted to air that. Wanted to air, <laughs> sorry, air my grievance about the air. Thanks so much. Keep up the good work. wraps up today's topics. We are so glad you stopped by. Be sure to join the Mormon Happy Hour on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you smiled, please drop us a five-star review wherever you found us. See you next week. Cheers!